So as uh, I've said before, my name is Josh, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are doing a message today called On Mission, uh, On Message and On Mission, On Mission, On Message. And what we're going to be looking at is we're going to have a look at a part of Jesus' teaching towards the end of the message, which talks about um, how it is that we're meant to live as people who follow Jesus. So if you're someone who doesn't yet follow Jesus or you're exploring what it means to follow Jesus, then what we look at today is probably Jesus' most well-known teaching, but it's also the most impactful for impactful for how we as the church are meant to live out our lives. So we'll get to that in just a little bit. But before that, I just want to share a little bit about my story. Now, is everyone uh, familiar with the term family of origin? You know, family of origin. Has anyone uh, been so bold as to go through their own family of origin and actually map it out through a genogram exercise where you go and you have a look at your parents, your grandparents, your relationships and how that all melds together to create the, f- the function or dysfunction that is your family. Has anyone done those before? Yeah? If you don't know the story of your past, it's hard to know how it is that you're going to go in the future. You've got to be aware of those sort of things. So you're going to learn a little bit about my family of origin um, now as I share just a couple of stories. So growing up, I grew up in a house where my dad was a pastor, which is what it was, was it was. It meant we went to church early on Sundays. It meant that we celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve because Christmas Day was a big deal. Uh, it meant that dad was around um, a lot of key times for us, which is great. And he was out at meetings a lot at night time. So, you know, it was the pros and cons. Now, my dad was a pastor, but not only that, but my granddad was a pastor. Yeah. So, you know, I, I remember many a times at my nana and granddad's house. So we lived in Kalgoorlie, would come up, they lived in Armadale, and we'd go and granddad would sit in his chair. I used to, me and my sister joked and said, oh, we've got to go and sit and listen to granddad's stories now because he's gone and sat in that chair. Um, and, you know, once he sits in that chair, it's going to be something about his time on the mission field in New Guinea or something with his pastoring work or something. Uh, so we knew that once he sat down in that chair in the front room, because it wasn't where the telly was, you know, like the telly was the fun room and he went and sat in the front room. We're like, okay, we're going to go listen to a story now. So uh, granddad would share all sorts of stories about his experience um, as a first generation Christian coming to find Jesus, going to the mission field, doing his studies, becoming a pastor. So my granddad was a pastor, but on top of that, my grandpa was a pastor. So mum's parents and dad's parents were both pastors. Um, so some people go, Josh, why are you a pastor? <laughs> Did I have a choice? Probably not. Now, the thing about having that sort of influence in your life means that when it comes to church and how church functions and who the church is, it means that you get to see things through a different lens. You get to see some of the real good highs because you get to hear stories that no one else gets to hear. You get to hear um, all sorts of inside information. But it also means that you get to see the other side as well where people aren't always the best. People can sometimes not be very kind. And so you, you get to see the good parts of church We also get to experience sometimes some of the the bad parts of church. So we all have family of origin stuff. So let me me share a couple of stories So to explain why I am passionate about church. And it comes down really to how my grandparents and my dad um, uh, interacted with the church. So a few things that happened that I witnessed in my my life. I saw one of my grandparents uh, get removed from a church. That's a fun one, isn't it? Uh, The members didn't like where he was going. uh, And rather than go and chat it out and hash it out, because my granddad was also his past now, but he was, he was a, I can get it, he's a, he's a stern man. Um, I can understand why they might have been a bit afraid to go up against him. Anyway, uh, so the members decided, oh, we don't really like where we're going, uh, so they went to the Baptist Union at the time and said, hey, you need to get rid of this guy, and they came in, they 
and he, he was removed uh, from his church, which was just interesting. Uh, one of the things I remember him saying, uh, because one of his, as a first-generation Christian, his big emphasis was who's not in the church yet. Um, and his whole thing was about we need to be there for people who aren't here yet because his story was I didn't know Jesus, I came to know Jesus, the church matters. And the congregation didn't like that, they wanted a bit more for inside people, so they went, they got him removed. So that wasn't very fun, I watched my dad go through the ups and downs of that, write letters and all that sort of stuff. I saw a church split um, in, in Kalgoorlie when uh, there was sort of a directional emphasis going, the church wanted to go one way. And some people thought, oh, we don't really want to go that way. Uh, they were saying, we need to go contem- contemporary music, women in leadership, we need to move with the times. And some people went, oh, we don't really like that. So they went and they were blessed to church plant. Now, there's two ways churches church plant. One is in the really healthy way where everyone goes, we need to go out there and, and go and spread the love of Jesus, right? And the other one is, we actually disagree with each other and we think we should split. But we're not going to call it a split, we're going to call it a church plant. So they planted another church. <laughs> But it was one of those, we are very happy to go this way and you're very happy to go that way. Um, and when I saw that and when that happened, um, and I was a kid watching this and um, remember many stories, um, hearing a few stories about it, um, yeah, I saw that the impact that that has on a family and the impact that that has behind the scenes. Uh, I heard people growing up talk about my family in really unkind ways uh, because for some reason, uh, when you're the pastor's kids, I was meant to behave well and I was... <laughs> I was full of energy, man. Like, I wanted to run. I remember we had a saxophone player on the, on the band, right? And I remember running through the hall, living it up, having a great time. And I remember him, he's on his saxophone. And like, this is after the service. And he puts his saxophone down. He comes up and he goes, don't run in the hall. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, like... That was an intense experience. Uh, one time during a members meeting, I was out the back running around, and I think I was mucking around with like car mirrors or something. I was, I was being naughty, but uh, a couple of people came outside and thought, rather than get my parents and figure that they should parent me, they thought, oh, it's the pastor's kid, we'll parent him. So they came out there and started giving me some of their wisdom. So growing up, I heard people talk about my family at times and uh, say things, because they assume, oh, you know, they're the pastor's family, they should have things right, and... So anyway, so I've seen what good the church can do, but I've also seen on the other side that the church isn't always the best. The church is full of broken people that don't always, they may love the message of Jesus, but they don't always live out the way of Jesus. So I've seen that in its good and its bad way. But despite all that, what I witnessed again and again was that my dad, my grandpa, and my granddad all were committed to the work of the church. They loved seeing the church do what the church is meant to do. They held the conviction, the conviction that not only did the local church matter, but it's worth fighting for. It's worth going through those tough times for the sake of this amazing message going beyond the walls of the people who gather there every Sunday. And the big reason that I pastor and the big reason that I care about our church and churches in general is because I've seen what it's like to love and fight for the church. I had the example of growing up that the message of the church, the message that Jesus died, rose again so that you and I can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, and the mission of the church, the mission being to make disciples that inspire people to follow Jesus, is worth fighting for, it's worth suffering for, it's worth it. Communities are better when the church is on message and on mission. But then there's also personally, so I've seen through their lens what they've seen, but also personally, I've benefited greatly from being part of the church. Now, you may not have thought about it in these terms before, but I'm going to say four things that the church has done in my life, that if you were part of church, you might go, I've experienced that as well. 
And if you haven't been around church for long or you don't know what church is like, then these four things, I think, are worth being part of church community. Because I think that I've been... I've avoided so much regret and so much pain in my life because these things have been built into my life into the foundations of who I am. So four things that the church did for me, and I believe it does for everyone, is this. The first one is that the church informed my conscience. The church informed my conscience. I was exposed to a way of life that refused to say, you are the center of your world. That my happiness, my ego, my desires, my appetites, in a culture which says, you, 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 I was exposed again and again to a group of people that said, not me, but others. Not me, but Jesus. And it actually informed my conscience and helped me realize how I should live. And I started to view all aspects of what life is like through this lens. Is what I'm doing good for other people? It informed my conscience to have this thing go off in my head that when I do something that hurts another person, my conscience, my conscience goes, ding, that's not right. Or my conscience says, hang on, that's not how you're meant to live. And the church is a big reason for that. Because the church kept saying to me again and again, it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus, and Jesus was about other people. So anytime I said, I'm going to make it about me, 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 my conscience went, that's not what life's about. And that's because I was part of the church. So I was asking myself, is what I'm doing or how I'm behaving, how is that impacting other people? Is that good for other people? From morals to ethics, from datings to friendship, my conscience was informed by this Jesus first, others first, me second type of living. The second thing is, is that instilled a sense of purpose. I heard again and again in many different ways, I heard this idea that God not only made me and loved me, but he actually has a plan for my life. I hope that being part of LBC, that that has been part of your experience, that as you're part of this church, you you hear from, from me and from how we do things that you matter. You're not here by accident. You're made on purpose for a purpose. And I found that being part of the church instilled this sense of purpose for me, that my heavenly father loves me and I'm meant to be a part of his family. I know I'm created on purpose for a purpose and I get to pass that message on to other people starting with my family. So every night before our kids go to bed and I'd say every night, asterisk, not every night because some nights you're like, oh, it's seven o'clock, just go to bed Um, (laughs) because we're not perfect. Most nights... Before my kids go to, to bed, they get their blessing. So Manel has her blessing and she put hers to a song, so that's fun. Mine's just a saying, so it's a bit more boring. Um, so every night before my kids go to bed, they get the same blessing from me each and every night so they can recite it back to me as well. I always say to them, God made you, Jesus loves you, the Spirit's with you, God has a plan for your life, don't you miss it. And normally I let them finish the don't you miss it. Don't you miss it, miss it. That's right, Ezzy, now go to bed. Um, <laughs> And then when I see him later, I have to remind myself, God loves them, Jesus made them, the Spirit of God. Anyway. Because as a parent, you know, I want to see my kids have that message passed on to them. They have made with love. They are uniquely gifted and they are here for a reason. Kids need to have this message to be part of their lives, part of their language. Two of our core values around the kids' area in Pebbles and Jam space that align to this sort of thinking is, um, one is God made me. And the other is, I can trust God no matter what. So in our Pebbles area, which is our zero to five-year-olds, they're out for the whole service out there, um, and our jam programs, year one to six, um, they have some core things that they come back to again and again and again, and one of them is God made me. So you matter. Isn't that beautiful? 
And one of them is, I can trust God no matter what. And we want to show them that they have been made on purpose for a purpose and that they can trust God no matter what, that he's for them and wants something good for them. So I just want to say, Jared's not here today, but to Jared, to all of you volunteers that make Pebbles and Jam happen, thank you so much. Youth group as well, creating those spaces for people to hear that message, I think is so important. In a culture which says, you, 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 you're the be-all and end-all of your experience, to have something that comes alongside people and says, hey, you're loved, you're seen, you're known, and you can trust God, I think that's so valuable. So thank you for those of you that serve in those areas to make sure that that happens. Thirdly, the church served as a window into God's activity in this world. Again, I would have been exposed as a kid if I didn't have the church in my life to just do what you want and as long as it feels good, everything's fine. But through the church, I heard stories of people who gave up on good things for them for the good of other people. I saw people come and share stories about how they moved their life from one direction and they went in a completely different direction because they recognized that the message of Jesus matters. Jesus came into their lives, they went, this is worth living for and they want to do something about that. So I started to see that God is not only caring and loving for the world, he's active in this world. He's doing stuff in our world. I got to see people who had nothing to their names in terms of worldly possessions, but they had so much joy and peace because they held on to this amazing message that Jesus really is the be-all and end-all of everything. And then finally, the church, the church taught me to be generous. The t- church told me, taught me that not everything that I have is for me to consume. The church taught me that being generous matters. So, Giving 10% of my income to the church is just part of my financial practice because I grew up in a church that said giving to what breaks your heart and giving to what makes a difference in your life matters. I grew up going everything that I receive, every paycheck that I receive is not just for me. I get to enjoy part of it, but I also get to give some of it away. It shows that the money is not in control of me, but I'm actually in control of my finances. And at the end of the day, the big message that came through again and again for me is the money we have, we're managers. We don't get to keep it. When you go to heaven, guess how much you get to take with you? Nothing. All you get to do is build up whatever wealth you do here on earth and then it becomes someone else's. So one of the big things that I had growing up was, you know, that money is meant to be used in a way that isn't just for you but builds into the lives of other people and can help change the trajectory of someone's story. We share what we have. It's not just for us to have here and now. We're just managers of it. So the church taught me to be generous. It taught me to look for opportunities to give. And we'll talk about giving and that coming up in October. We're doing Be Rich. We're going to partner with a couple of local community causes and also towards the end of the year. Because I think, Jesus said it, if the finances and God tend to have our battle, if our hearts with our finances, then we tend to not make decisions that are good for us and God. So this is a really big area I think that we need to just be going on about as a church is God cares about you and everything you have is not just for you. You can actually leverage what you have for the good of other people. So because of the church, my conscience was informed. I had this instilled sense of purpose. I got to see God active in the world here and now. And I realized that I have to be generous with what I have been given to manage. Being part of a church community led to all of that. And when I look at the lives of my friends and when I look at the lives of the people I went to school with, I see some of the decisions I made. And the reason they made some of the decisions they did is because they weren't surrounded by a community that put that at the front. And I've seen people who 
come to know Jesus and just have their lives radically transformed because they get a hold of this stuff and they start to see that they are made on purpose, that they have a conscience which is for the good of other people. They start to see God active and their life begins to change and they start to be generous and experience what it's like for God to work on others through what you get to give. And I got to experience that because I was part of church. Now, uh, many years ago, uh, when I was listening, because, you know, I love podcasts. Anyone podcast people? They're great, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, couple? Yeah. Um, podcasts are amazing. Podcasts and audiobooks are the best. Anyway, so I uh, listened to a podcast many, many, many years ago, and it was in sort of one of those formative moments when I was at Bible college, and I was trying to think to myself, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Jesus follower? Because at the time, I could see the church is good. I believe the church is good for the world. It's God's transformational agent. But, but what does it mean to actually be following Jesus, right? And has anyone done this before where you sort of go, if I had to explain to someone in 10 seconds, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Could I do it? Has anyone done that challenge before? Like, can I actually take the faith I live and be able to put it in a way that I could take to someone else and say, this is why I believe. So many years ago, I was in that formative stage of going, am I able to even do that? I was listening to a podcast and uh, a man uh, called Andy Stanley said this phrase and it captured the heart of why I love Jesus and the church so much. He said, following Jesus has made my life better and made me better at life. And when I heard that phrase, I went, that, that's what I can say to people. That's exactly what's happened in my world. Up until 16 years of age, I lived in a Christian household and I went, yep, I'm just going to be a Christian because that's what you do, right? That's the culture. That's the flow. Then when I was 16 years old, I went, stuff this. I'm going to go and live against God. Now, my rebellious stage was like so mild. It's almost, it's embarrassing to call a testimony. (laughs) But I experienced for six and a half months what it's like to go, I'm going to test God and I'm going to push him away actively. And for that six and a half months, it was awful. I, I just realized how much God in my life mattered. And I had this moment when I was on a camp and I realized it all made sense and the Holy Spirit came into my life and I went, I get it now. And then as I explored what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, when I heard this phrase, follow, this phrase following Jesus has made my life better and made me better at life, I went, that's it. That's what I can say to people. Jesus isn't just the person who saved me from myself. Jesus is the one who's made my life better. And I'm better at life. I'm better at how I do things because of Jesus and his influence in my life. There is an eternal amazing thing that God has done on my behalf that I can never repay. We say it's the grace from God which we accept and go, because of Jesus, I get to know my heavenly father and I get to be with him forever. That is amazing. But that's not the whole message. That's part of the message. The other part of the message is while we're still here, we get to enjoy that relationship with him and with the community around us. And this really sort of made me realize this is, this is it. In all of my brokenness, in all of my sin, there is still a God that doesn't want to just leave me in that place, but actively invites me to be part of his family, here and now. And I know that I'm better at life. I know that I'm better in my marriaging, in my parenting. I know that I'm better in my day-to-day living because of Jesus. It doesn't mean I always get it right, but I have him with me and I have him to guide me. And the only reason I know all of this is because I was part of the community that championed this message. I was part of the church. So I love the church. I love being part of what the local church means, not only to myself, but to other people. And I want to say a quick pastoral side note here for one second. That's not everyone's experience. I recognize that. 
So don't hear me say that every local church is perfect. Every local church is tasked to be on mission and on message. But people suck and people are in churches. And until we get rid of that problem, you're going to end up with communities of people that hurt people. And for many of us, we've been part of church communities, like I shared like with, through my granddad and my dad, and I've seen people say awful things about my family and awful things about my parents and my grandparents. And a couple of times it's great because sometimes people don't know who you are and they've sort of said stuff and not realised that um, they're grandson. And I went, oh, that was interesting. Because um, people, people are hurt. People are broken. We all need Jesus. We all need the message of Jesus. And unfortunately, some of us receive that amazing grace and we're saved and this is amazing, eternity secured, and then we forget to actually change our lives and those sort of people hurt people. And I'm sorry for that. Some people take what we call cheap grace. They say, I'm secured forever. I can live how I want. And that's not the message of Jesus. He has secured us forever, but he invites us to live radically different here and now. Other churches will hurt you. This church will potentially hurt you. People hurt people. And I'm sorry that that happens because we don't always get this right. But when a church chooses to genuinely live out of what it means to be the hope of the world by proclaiming a message that Jesus loves people, and for churches that genuinely go, we are not just here for us, but we are here to spread the message that other people can come on the mission of God as well. Those sort of churches that want to be on mission and on message, on purpose, those churches change lives. Those churches are the ones that grasp this concept that the church is God's agent for transformation, both personally, culturally, and globally. Those churches don't always get it right, but they're the ones that make a difference. A church planner called Crawford Loritz says this, the church represents the destination at which culture needs to arrive. Isn't that a great line? The church represents the destination at which culture needs to arrive. What that means is that the way the church lives should be so inviting, so irresistible, so compelling. The way that we love one another, care for one another, love those around us should be so amazing that culture looks at the church and says, that's what we should be like. That's how we should be ordered. The church should represent the destination at which culture needs to arrive. And when the church gets this right, when we represent Jesus, then our culture begins to change because our culture is drawn to this idea of who Jesus is and what he's like. Because all humanity, I believe, has the fingerprint of God on us. All of us, every person, no matter who you are, we've all been made with this desire to know more about who it is that created us. And in the past, the church has not always made it easy for people to discover, that's Jesus. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of the Holy Spirit. So for the sake of this generation, the next generation, then the church has to be healthy, outward-facing, more authentic, more relevant. We have to be on mission and on message. And how do I have the confidence this is sort of where we should be? How is it that I should know that this is sort of where we should be aiming for as a church which is on mission and on message that is for other people that holds this idea that we need to love God and we need to love other people? Well, we get it from Jesus. Uh, the, it'll be up on the screen, but if you go to the Bible, you can go to Matthew 22, 33, 34 to 39. We're going to unpack this because this little piece of Scripture gets to the heart of Jesus' heart for humanity. This is what it says. 
It says, hearing that Jesus, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and Pharisees, the Sadducees, sorry, the Pharisees got together. So Jesus is going around sort of telling people all these amazing things. And the Sadducees and Pharisees are these two religious groups that were going, we need to catch Jesus out. Because if we can't catch Jesus out, then what he's saying is going to start to sway people to genuinely believe that this new movement of God is real. So they went, well, if we trip him up and show that what Jesus is saying is not true, then we can sort of put him to the side and we can move on with our life. Because Jesus was saying uncomfortable things that he was sort of starting to say, um, I speak on behalf of God. And they went, hang on a second, you can't do that. Um, so they really wanted to trap him here. So the Sadducees were silent. So the Pharisees got together and they said, we can trap him. The Sadducees are useless. We're going to get this sorted, right? This religious group looked at the other religious group and said, you guys, you didn't do your homework. This is a simple open shut case. We're going to go chat to Jesus ourselves." So one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. Now, as people who follow Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower like me, that should perk our ears up right there. What a great question. Jesus, what matters most? Don't we want to know the answer to that? If Jesus is really someone we follow and love and believe died on behalf of us, when someone asks Jesus point blank, what's the most important thing? Those of us who want to follow Jesus and want to model our lives on him should start to go, I'm paying attention. What's the most important God, what's the greatest commandment in the law? So Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And it's a great answer. All right? So Jesus is there. He's asked the question, Oh, what is the greatest commandment? Okay. Well, it is love your God, Lord your God with all your heart, with, with all, of, all of who you are. All right? That makes sense. What a great answer. Hey, how do you love God? Or what's the most important thing? You should love God. Awesome. But then Jesus went on and said this phrase here, the second is like it. Now, we read the second is like it, and we, we sort of go in our mind, it means it's secondary to it, right, in terms of the hierarchical order. Um, when Jesus is talking at the time, he's not just saying, this is number one, this is number two. In our mind, we go, oh, well, as long as we do number one, then does number two really matter? Jesus is saying, here's number one, and number two is like it, meaning that if you don't fulfill either of them, then it is the same as not doing the other one. So then again, our ears should perk up. Well, what is the second commandment? The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this incredible, this incredible statement here. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus, can you give us the cliff notes on what this whole thing of following God is about? Jesus says it's simple. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. All these books and commandments and things come down, boil down to this key thing. Love God, love others. Being on mission and on message is about loving God and loving others. And once one of these is broken, then the system is broken. You cannot love God without loving others. And it is hard to genuinely love other people without having a love for God. The church has the greatest mission, helping people discover this God who uniquely made them and wants to be part of their family. The church has this great mission of going out there saying, come and be part of what God is doing here and now. And we have this great message that Jesus gave his life for your sin and your brokenness to restore you to your heavenly father. But the church is also positioned to not just tell people that, but to show people that. We don't just go out there and say, Jesus loves you. We go out there and show them that they are loved by him. So it's our job to stay on mission, on message. Love God, love others, love God, love others. 
So how do we do that? And this is where we're going to close off. Part of our spiritual uh, model, formation model here at LBC involves two elements that talk to loving God and loving others. It's about personal ministry and private disciplines. We believe that every person who follows Jesus has their trust in Jesus increased when they do one of these two things or when they do both of them. One is personal ministry, serving other people by using your time, your gifts to show people that God loves them. Serve on a Sunday, serve in a program, serve in the community, lead a life group, whatever it is. And when you do that, when you serve other people, then you find that you actually have your trust in in Jesus increased. And the other thing is to take up private disciplines. So when people who say that they love Jesus read their Bible on their own, pray on their own, and give generously, when they start to instill those into the practices of your life, when you start to practice things like silence and Sabbath, when you start to engage in directional giving, when you start to take in these private disciplines and your life begins to change, your faith and your trust in Jesus will grow. So basically, responding to the mission and message of Jesus is all about following his way. Love God, love others, serve others, and stay connected to him. So the question today is, how can you be on mission and on message with us? I believe that your trust in Jesus, if you're already a Jesus follower, your trust in Jesus will grow when you serve others and when you take up private disciplines. When you read the word, when you read the Bible, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, when you look at the story of Jesus, when you give, when you practice those things that help build into our love of God and when you serve other people, your trust will grow. If you're here this morning and you don't know where you fall with God, then what I hope that you see is a community that genuinely loves God but doesn't forget to love people. Because if you say you love God but you do not love people, it's like not loving God at all. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. My prayer right now, God, is that we take what we need to from this message and that we be encouraged that you are for us and that you love this world. But that means, God, that sometimes we need to change to come in line with who you are and what you have for us. So just help us in those points where we need to change. Lord, maybe we need to go and we need to look at how to use our time to help other people. Maybe we need to go and carve out time to spend with you. We just pray that you'll be with us and give us the humility, wisdom to do what we need to do, to love you, to love other people, to be on mission and on message together. In your name and for your glory. Amen.